morning, church. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark Atherton. I'm the senior pastor here at Xenia Nazarene, and the board has granted me a 12-week sabbatical. And during that time, I've chosen several people to be your guest speakers. And today, you have the pleasure of listening to Pastor Russ Gum. For those of you that have been at Xenia Nazarene for a while, Russ is no stranger to you. He was the pastor that I followed, pastored here for almost seven years, and is now the pastor of Mount Vernon First Church of the Nazarene in Mount Vernon, Ohio. You know, the good days that we're experiencing now at Xenia Nazarene uh, don't just happen by happenstance or by luck. It's accumulation of many pastors that have done a lot of good things. And I had the good fortune of coming to a good church where the table was set for me. And a lot of that credit goes to Pastor Gum, and I appreciate uh, so much him making it easy for me. Would you welcome back to Xenia Nazarene, Pastor Russ Gum. Thank you. What a joy it is to be able to come back to Xenia and uh, worship together. I love the worship of Xenia Naz. You guys do it well. And I appreciate so much just the opportunity of being able to sing the praises. And it's good to be back and see so many familiar faces. But the good news about uh, coming back to a church that you pastored uh, for several years and you've been gone for several years, when you come back, it's good to see new faces. And so good to see so many new faces in here this morning. That just says that, that God is still working in the Xenia community. And so we're so grateful and thankful for that. And, and appreciate so much the ministry of Pastor Mark. He's doing a great job. And you guys are blessed to have a, a great leader in Pastor Mark. So thank you for the invitation to let me come back and be a part of this service. I'm looking forward to, to continuing to see all that God has to do in the life of Xenia Naz. Well, this morning I want to talk to you for just a little bit about uh, being the hands and the feet of Jesus, the, realiza the realization that God uh, really is uh, counting on us to do his work. The last song we sang about, we talked about Jesus being our hope, and he is certainly that. Jesus is absolutely our hope, our rock, our fortress, the one that we absolutely lean on. But the, if you turn that around for just a moment, you realize that, that God also says, you are my hope, church. You who sit in the pew on a weekly basis, you who go out and minister in my name, you are my hope to continue on the process that I have begun in my son Jesus. And so I want you to get encouraged a little bit this morning, church, that this is all about you. You have the privilege, you have the opportunity to absolutely be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the Xenia community. Isn't that good news? And you realize this morning the church is the, the hands and feet and the world around you desperately needs you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You don't have to look very far to realize that we're living in a desperate world. We live in a world that's full of hurts and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And God has called us to be the church, the people of God that, that ministers to and reaches out to and, and somehow comes alongside of people who are lost and dying and absolutely need to have a hope. We can sing about it in our pews. We can talk about it from our Sunday school classrooms or in our small group settings or in a worship setting like this. But the reality is unless we take it out there, it doesn't affect anything. God's call in our life is not that we have great holy huddle time, but at some point you got to break. 
And at some point, you've got to go out and play the game. And so I want to talk to you this morning about getting out of the, the, the huddle and, and going out into the world and, and beginning to minister in the name of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And you know this story. You've heard it a hundred times if you've been brought up in the church. And you know immediately when I say Luke chapter 10, you know what I'm t- going to talk about if you know the Bible very much at all. And, and if you don't, you're going to at least hear the part of that you are most familiar with. And, and we're going to look at it beginning with verse 25. But I want to back it up for just a few moments if I could to Luke chapter 9. Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few small fish, not a, a, a small feat. And so Jesus has done something pretty spectacular and, and the people are kind of excited about it. And then he begins to challenge them that I, I really want you to leave everything and I want you to follow me. And, and you begin to find one by one the, the disciples, or the, the, the people, the 5,000 begin to fall off and, and he's left here. Now he has these 72 people in Luke chapter 10, these 72 disciples that he's, he's sending out into the communities and, and they're they're going to go out and minister in Jesus' name. They're going, to, they're going to do the work that God has called them to do, and they're going to continue the process that Jesus began. And so you begin to pick up the story in Luke chapter 10 where the 72, they've gone out in the communities, and it's been a wonderful time of, of revival in the communities. There's been a wonderful success stories, and, 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 and the disciples come back, these 72 got, come back, and, and they gather together, and, and what I kind of see is a setting like this where they're sitting down, and Jesus begins to talk to them, and he, he begins to rally the truth, and you can say, great job job, guys. Let's, let's hear some stories. Let's hear about what, what, what God has done. Let me hear some of the things that has been accomplished. And, and so the 72 began to one by one talk and they begin to say, oh, Jesus, man, it, it was great. Man, we were casting out demons and, and, and we were healing people. And, and it, was, it was amazing to see what God was doing through us. And, and Jesus, that's it, boys. You just keep up the good work. You're doing a great job. And, and, and so it's in that setting. It's in that, that setting where Jesus gathered together with disciples that we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out the two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any further or extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love this passage, but I think sometimes we, we use it to beat people up over the head with the, with the idea that you've got to do more. The, the church just needs to get more involved in the community. The church just needs to do something else. But, but I, want to, I want to step back for just a few moments and, and look at what really precipitated Jesus telling this story in the first place. It, it wasn't that Jesus just wanted the disciples to feel guilty because they weren't doing enough. 
And sometimes when we hear the story, the, 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 the Good Samaritan, that's what we think. We, we just aren't doing enough. But Jesus said, I want you to understand the context. And it's a lawyer. And you understand a lawyer in that day and age was not a lawyer like you and I know today. It wasn't somebody who had tried law in the court. It was, although they did do that, but it was mainly focused on the idea they knew the law of God. And so this would have been a religious man, a man of, of great knowledge, a man of great education. And here was a man who knew exactly the answer to the question that he was asking. And so Jesus asked, Ask him the question in return. When he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does the law say that you need to do? Well, I have to love the Lord your God with all your mind, whole, heart, heart, mind soul, and strength. And, and so the disciple or this, this man, this lawyer said the right things. He knew the right context. He knew that Jesus would expect him to have the answer to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so Jesus said, hey, great job. And then the guy said, I want to add something else. I also know that I am to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, you've spoken well. Can't you just imagine now this, this lawyer, this man that has, has, has asked Jesus a question? And you got to remember what the scripture says he was doing. He was doing this in order to test Jesus. Can I just tell you, church, anytime you think you're going to test Jesus, you're going to lose. You are no match for Jesus. But then neither am I. But this lawyer certainly thought he was so high and mighty, he was so confident, he was, he was so full of himself that he's going to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and if he was smart, if this man was smart, he would have stopped. At this point, he's won. Jesus has said, you've answered correctly. He should have sat down. Have you ever been talking so much that you can't just shut up? I, I think that's what was going on in this man's mind. I, I, I think he's so caught up and he's so consumed by, man, Jesus, I've answered correctly. And so then he goes on and says, all right, Jesus, I'm going to ask you another question. Who's my neighbor? That's where the story gets interesting. Notice that he doesn't, he doesn't want to, to somehow build up this idea of loving God. What is he doing? He's looking for an out. He knows the law. He knows what he believes. He, he knows what he's supposed to say. But the problem comes with not wanting to live it out. The problem comes when, when Jesus is asking them to go beyond just the, the knowledge and actually bearing out, living out the knowledge that you have. And I think sometimes, church, that's where we fall short. We have a head knowledge of what we're supposed to do. We have a head knowledge of who we're supposed to be. But when it comes time to living it out, the world doesn't see it. And so this young man, this, this lawyer, this keeper of the law, this man who couldn't stop his mouth from running, who is my neighbor, asks the question that I think we all ask. Because what he's really saying is, Jesus, how far do I have to go? Do I really have to, do I really have to be nice to everybody? Do I really have to be, be nice to the, those around me? Do I have to be nice to people who aren't like me? Do I have to be nice to who are just in a mess? Do I have to be nice to, to people that are just, they're just not nice? And isn't that us, church? Do we really have to be friends? Do we really have to be neighborly to the world around us? Jesus, do you know what they're like? Do you know what they're capable of? God, Jesus, do you, even, do you even have a clue what these people are, are, are doing? You know that they're not even like you. That you know they didn't even like you. So who's my neighbor? And so Jesus picks it up with this story. A man goes down from 
Jerusalem to Jericho. Now you need to understand the terrain in that day was very, very dangerous, very treacherous. And, and so you stop the story right there. And, and, and the listeners who were hearing this story automatically knew that there, there goes a, a problem. There's a man who's going from a, a, a place to, to another place where he has to cross through a dangerous territory. And he's going alone. So here's the thing. This man is putting himself in danger. First part of the story you need to pick up on. He's putting himself in danger. And so he's going down the road and obviously he's on his own and he gets robbed and beaten and stripped and left on the side of the road for half dead. His fault. Wrong place, wrong time. Nobody made him go there. It was his choice. He is in that position because he put himself in that position. That's important for us to remember. And so Jesus said, okay, now what's taking place? Along comes three individuals. And what bothers me about this is the three individuals Jesus chooses to talk about. The first individual he talks about is the priest. Can we just relate that? The first person that comes along is the church. The one who represents, the one who's supposed to know, the one who, who understands the role of God, the, the place of Jesus in our lives, the, the one who's supposed to understand that our calling is to minister to and to, to meet to the needs. And, and, and this man begins to, to look upon this one that has a need. It reminds me of the story of a drug dealer who's talking to a pastor. And the drug dealer says to this pastor, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Where are you? When the teens are going to school. So let me tell you where I am. I'm right there where they see me. Pastor, where are you when the kids are getting out of school? Let me tell you, I'm, I'm standing there at the corner waiting for them. Pastor, where are you when, when the kids are out and, and they're finding nothing to do on a Friday night? Can I tell you something, Pastor? They know where to find me. Where are you? And that challenged me, challenges me this morning to realize that, that the world absolutely is doing a better job than we are as a church of, of reaching our kids, of reaching those who are hurting, to reaching those who are down and out. And, and, and the world is doing a better job than, than the church is. And so Jesus says, hey, church, listen to this. When this man is down and out, when he's absolutely left for half dead, laying naked on the side of the road, a priest comes walking by and he looks at him and he walks on the other side. Now, I want to be kind. I want to be, I want to be generous. The scripture doesn't give this, but I want to give, I want to give this priest a little, bit of, a little bit of credit here. Here's what I think probably happened or might have happened or could have happened. But I think what, what, what's taking place here is this priest, he looks upon this man who's, who's half dead, who's, who's been beaten, who's been robbed, who's laying naked in the road, who's, who has absolutely nothing to offer at this point. I think the priest looked at him and I think he had pity on him. I, I think he at least had enough human decency to look at this man and know that he's hurting. And, and, and so I think what he did was I think he looked at this man and he crossed over the other side, but... He's not heartless. He hollers out to the man. Hey, brother, sorry about your luck. Man, I know you got to be hurting. And I just want you to know, my friend, I'm going to pray for you. Isn't that the church? 
We see them. I mean, we see them. We know they're out there. We know there are people who are, who are hurting. We know there are people who are laying half naked along the side of the road. We know there are people who absolutely the world is attacked. We know there are people who have been left for dead. We know there are people who have absolutely no self-esteem left. We know there are people who have been told their whole life they'll never amount to anything. We know there are people that have been beaten up and put down from the world around them and we've left them, but we walk by and we'll tell them, hey, I'm sorry about your luck, but I'll certainly be praying for you. Because isn't that what we do, church? We pray. Woohoo! Way to go, us. And can we be really honest in here this morning? Sometimes we don't even do that. Oh, we say we will. We tell people, I'm really sorry about where you're at. I'm sorry about your luck. I'm sorry you're so discouraged. I'm sorry you're so beaten down. And I'm going to pray for you. And we walk away from it out of sight, out of mind. Again, I want to give the priest the benefit of the doubt here. I want to make him at least seem human in this situation. I want him to feel like he's at least praying for. And I want you to hear my heart this morning, church. I believe in praying for people. I believe that we need to make a difference in them. I believe that we need to absolutely offer words of peace and encouragement to them. But can I tell you something this morning? If the priest did that and walked away, the man was still naked and laying in the road, half dead. Well, you know what? We have church every Sunday. If they're laying in the road, half dead, folks, they're not coming to you. They're not. If you're waiting for the lost, if you're waiting for the hurting, if you're waiting for those who are down and out, if you're waiting for those who, who are literally struggling in life to come to you, they're not. And folks, in my mind, that only leaves one other option. If they're not coming to us, we've got to go to them. And we've got to stop crossing the other side. I think what was going on in the priest's mind was, man, if I go over where he is, I'm going to have to do something. Matthew West wrote a song that says, do something. And he starts off by saying he sees all the hurt and he sees all the, the pain, the suffering that's going on in the world. And, and he begins to look at the world and he, and he says, he, he shakes his fist at God. He shakes his fist at him and says, God, why don't you do something? And God says, I did. I created you. Wow. Priests? God created you. Church, God created you. For what reason? For what purpose? That we might be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Well, you know what? If they come in the doors of Xenia Naz, man, we will just embrace them. We will take them in. We will take care of them. We will bind their needs or their wounds. We will meet their needs. We'll give the denarii. I mean, we'll take care of them. They're not coming. They're just not. And we realize that when we get over ourselves enough to realize that it's our responsibility to go to where they are. Maybe instead of crossing to the other side of the road, we need to get down in the dirt. We need to get down in the mud and the blood and we begin to, begin to make the, meet the needs of this person. Because the reality is, church, they need us. They're desperate for us to be the church. If not you, then who, Matthew West says, and, and so we get to this place where, where this priest is saying, if I, if I do that, I'm going to have to do something. I mean, I'm actually going to have to do something. I'm going to I'm gonna have to bind the man's wounds, and I'm going to I'm gonna have to meet his needs. And I, just, I really don't want to do that. 
It's not what I do. I preach. I tell everybody else what they need to do. Great job we've got. (laughs) Sorry about your luck. It's not Jesus. So the question is, who is my neighbor? The Levite came by. And he looks at the man on the, on the side of the road. And you know what? The, again, I'm taking liberties with the scripture. But in my mind's eye, here's what I see the Levite doing. The, 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 the priest crossed the other side of the road and hollered out, hey, grace be with you. I'll be praying for you. But I think the Levite did what most of us do. And we see somebody along the side of the road. You know, the people who are on the side of the road with their road signs and will work for food or, or please help a veteran and, or, and all those things. Hungry children at home. We got 20 kids at home and trying to feed. And, and what happens when we see those signs on the road? What do we do? The first thing we do is we make sure we don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. The moment you look in somebody's eyes, they've got you. I do it. I'll be honest. I make sure if I see somebody in my peripheral vision, I don't see them. Because the moment they make eye contact, I feel guilty if I don't give them something. And I think the Levite, I think the Levite walked by like this. I don't see you, you don't see me, everything's cool, I'm on my way, doing my thing. I think that's the church too sometimes. Sometimes we want to we want to act like they're not there. We want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And hey, if we don't see them, they don't see us, no harm done. The problem is they do see us. And folks, the world desperately needs us to be Jesus. They need us to get down in the mud and the blood. They need us to be able to get down in the dirt and, and begin to bind the wounds. Well, we will if they come to us. They're not coming. So we begin to pick up the story. Jesus said the third man, the Samaritan, the least likely of the three, the least likely to do anything, the least likely to really bind the wounds, the least likely to really meet this man's needs, the least likely to to care about somebody else was a Samaritan. Yet this is a man who when he saw the The man laying along the side of the road, beaten, robbed, left for half dead. This is a man who got down from his donkey, began to reach down and began to bind the man's wounds, pouring oil and wine on his wounds, bandaged him up, placed him on his donkey, and took him to the inn. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I'm smart enough to know that if you put somebody on the donkey, that means you've got to walk. And this Samaritan was willing to be put out. This Samaritan was willing to say, all right, I'll go beyond. Nobody would have expected a Samaritan to be neighborly. A Samaritan. The priest, yeah, but a Samaritan, no way. And yet here's the Samaritan getting down the mud and the blood willing to risk his reputation. Do you, do you realize, church, that sometimes the reason we don't do anything is because we're afraid of what it will do to our reputations? If we are seen associating with those people, if we are seen interacting with the people like that, what will the world think of us? 
Could I ask a more important question? What will God think of us if he sees us reaching out and meeting the needs of those around us? Listen, church, we don't even have to look outside the walls to see people who are hurting. We don't even have to go outside to see that there are men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who are absolutely beaten, robbed, and left for half dead along the side of the road. And what do we need to do? We need to get down in the mud and the blood with them. We need to bind their wounds. We need to care about them. We need to go beyond ourselves. And, and this Samaritan put him on his own donkey, took him to the inn, paid for it out of his own pocket. Listen, can I just tell you something this morning, church? The church doesn't need another compassionate ministry. The church doesn't need to come up with another program to meet the needs of the community in Xenia. The church doesn't need to figure out how to do this. That's what we want. Because when we do that, when we, when we allow the church to do it, we can throw a couple of bucks at it and we can say we've done our part. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, church, you need to be the neighbor. He's saying, you need to be the neighbor. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to be the one to see people the way that I see people. You need to be the one that binds their wounds. You need to be the one that gets down off your donkey. You need to be the one that puts them on his back. You need to be the one that takes them to the end. You need to be the one that takes it out of your pocket and pays for that. You need to be the one that says, I'll be back tomorrow to take care of whatever didn't get met today. Sometimes, folks, ministry is messy. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes it, it puts at risk our reputation from the world's perspective. But can I tell you something this morning? I could care less what the world thinks of me. I'm more interested in what does God think of me. And then I certainly don't want God to think, oh, there's Russ. He's crossing the other side of the road again. Oh, there he is putting his hand over his eyes so he doesn't see. I'm not telling you to go out and give money to every person you see. But I am challenging you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I'm challenging you to, to quit thinking it's the church's job and realize it's your job. And if we would begin to take seriously the responsibility that God has called us to bind the wounds of the hurting, if we would take seriously the call of God that we're to be the neighbor, that we're to be the, the one that absolutely meets the needs of those that we come into contact with, if we would just begin to believe that God really does desire to use the likes of us to minister to the likes of them, what a difference there would be in our world if we would stop letting the world do the church's job. We're called. We're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're called to literally serve him. And we're literally called to reach out and meet the needs. And you look at this good Samaritan, you realize that here he is. He's given of himself and he's putting himself out. And he's, he's got to take time away. He's got to give his efforts and he's got to give his energy. And he's got to do all the things that, that needs to be done. And then he says, I'll even come back tomorrow. Sometimes, church, we can't, just, we can't just say grace and peace be with you. Sometimes we need to get down the mud and the blood. Sometimes we need to get down and dirty. Sometimes we need to do more than just wish them well. And sometimes it means following it all the way through. It's easy for us to throw a few bucks here and there. Let the church do it. We saw what the church does. The church crosses the other side of the road too often. God says, why don't you do it? Why don't you meet the need 
well, Jesus, you know, I'm really not that type of person. I can't get involved. I don't want to, I don't want to get messed up in that situation. Why? Well, you know, I got a lot going on and a lot of things going to happen in my life. And I just, Jesus said, who is the neighbor? Well, obviously we know the answer to that. I mean, you don't even have to have a degree in religion to know the answer to this question. It certainly wasn't the priest. He wasn't neighborly by, by praying and saying, hey, I wish you well, my friend. It certainly wasn't the Levite who closed his eyes and walked the other way. It's the man who said, I'm willing to get down and get dirty. And hear the word of the Lord. Go and do likewise. <laughs> well, Jesus, you don't really mean that. I hope what you meant is that go and, and, and give to the church and let the church do it. I hope what you meant, Jesus, was, was, was I'll certainly pray for him. I hope what you meant, Jesus, was that I'll acknowledge that, yes, there are some needy people around me. I know there are some, some lost and hurting souls around me. I know there are people who, who really do need the hands and the feet of Jesus. But, but I certainly hope you're not saying you want me to be it. I'll support whoever wants to do it. But don't make me do it, Lord. Jesus said, you go. You do likewise. You see, this is personal. This isn't, this isn't corporate. This is personal. You go. You meet. You bind. Go out of your way to be the neighbor. And I wonder this morning, I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if we could really get to the place where we see people around us the way Jesus sees them. I wonder this morning if we could understand that, that God's call upon our lives is literally to be his hands and feet. We sing that song, Jesus is the hope. But I believe with all my heart that we are also Jesus' hope. His hope to continue the process, to continue the work that he began. We're the hands and the feet of a Lord who needs us to be the hands and the feet in the world around us. And we can't wait. We can't wait and say, we open the doors every morning, every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 10.45. Man, we are here waiting and just wanting them to come because they're not coming. And so it comes down to the point, will we go? Will we be their neighbor? Now I sound like Mr. Rogers. But would you be their neighbor? Would you care enough about people to begin to get down the mud and the blood? Would you care enough about people to meet the needs? Listen, here's the good news. You don't have to change everybody. In fact, you can't change everybody. This Samaritan, he didn't change the world. He absolutely did not influence the world even a little bit, except for, for that man. And do you imagine, can you even begin to imagine the difference he made in that man's life? You're not called. It's not on your shoulders to win the world. It's not on your shoulders to, to make a difference, to make a big splash, to, to do it all. but it is on your shoulders to change one, 
to meet the need of somebody. And it can't be by throwing a couple of bucks at it and hoping the problem goes away. It's got to be that we're willing to get down the mud and the blood. We're willing to bind the wounds. We're willing to invest of ourselves. We're willing to give all that we have to meet the need. I wonder, church, who's your neighbor? The young man asked this of Jesus trying to get out of. Why don't we start asking the question so that we can get into? Lord, show me my neighbor. Show me that one that I can make a difference. And let me do it in the name of Jesus. Father, you are an amazing God. We love you with all of our heart. We love you with all of our mind, all of our strength. And Father, the truth is sometimes we we like to stop it right there. We know the law. We know what Deuteronomy says. We know that's, that's the secret. But God, you've taken it a step further. You've told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, we love ourselves a whole lot. We deprive ourselves of nothing. God, give us eyes to see. God, give us a a compassionate heart. Give us a compassionate spirit that does not allow us to walk on the other side of the road. God, give us a compassionate spirit that does not allow us to offer platitudes. God, give us compassionate spirits that allow us to get down in the mud and the blood. And God, yes, it's messy. And yes, it's costly. But God, you've called us. You've called us to be a neighbor to the world around us. May we see through your eyes. May we understand, oh God, that you've called us to do something. And may we answer that call. Collectively, yes. As a body, yes. But God, more importantly, may we answer that call as individuals. May we be your hands and your feet in the world around us. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.